Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio, as always, is my colleague Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder here at Pop Health Week. And how are we doing today, Fred? I'm doing very well, Greg. And how are you? Well, we'll leave the details out, but let's just say better living through chemistry, a.k.a. modern medicine. For those of you not familiar with Fred, he's a veteran healthcare executive and the president of a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm, Accountable Health, LLC. Fred serves on the editorial boards of the Journal of Population Health Management and Population Health News. He is a sitting judge for the Health Value Awards featured at the World Healthcare Congress and a recent appointee to the graduate faculty of the John D. Bauer School of Population Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Do follow Fred on Twitter via at F.S. Goldstein. My background includes thought leadership, and strategy guidance for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACLWatch.com and produce digital media content for the emerging value-based healthcare economy. And do follow me on Twitter via at the number two healthguru. And now for today's special guest. David Klebonis serves as Chief Operating Officer for both the Palm Beach Accountable Care Organization and the South Florida ACO. Recruited as part of the original executive team, David helped lead Palm Beach ACO and its affiliates to save Medicare $45.2 million in performance year one. In performance year two, the ACO increased savings by an additional 9.8% per beneficiary, while improving quality by an average of 13.5% per measure. He currently leads ACO operations, including government rules and opportunities, network development, clinical programs, and outcome-based contracts, which we'll hear more about shortly. Prior to joining Palm Beach ACO, David was president of Medical Insight Partners, an EHR reseller, and healthcare business and technology consulting company. His team specialized in helping physicians maximize income through implementing technology, achieving government and payer incentives while optimizing workflows. Palm Beach ACO is a wholly physician-owned and operated organization. According to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, entities like Palm Beach ACO perform better, both at the cost reduction and quality of care level, than institutionally led ACOs where a hospital or health system serves as parent or general partner of the enterprise directing the mission of the organization. Recently characterized or segmented into low-revenue versus high-revenue performing participants in the ACO program, whether as MSSP, next-gen, or advanced payment models, physician-driven ACOs 
are outperforming the group as a whole. So with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Let's get David's take on the ACO sector, performance writ large, what he's up to at both Palm Beach Accountable Care Organization and its affiliates, and any top of mind key takeaways from the recently concluded Flacco's Conference in Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much, Greg. And David, welcome to the show. Hey, really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's really great to get you on. We had a good chance to catch up with the Florida Association of ACO meetings, and it's great to get uh, some time for you to share some of your insights with, uh, with our audience. So really pleased to, to have you today. Could you give us uh, some background? I mean, obviously, Greg gave some of an introduction uh, about Palm Beach ACO, how many physicians are in the group, uh, number of uh, beneficiaries uh, attributed to the ACO. Absolutely. So it's been a great ride. So Palm Beach ACO started in 2012. Uh, it's amazing. We started with about 30 physicians, and, and now we're up to uh, 275 PCPs and about 150 specialists. And, and yes, we are an ACO that includes both PCPs and specialists. Um, the, uh, the ACO currently has uh, 79,000 Medicare lives, and um, you know, thanks to the performance that you mentioned uh, in the first couple of years, that opened doors for our physicians to perform also value-based care for commercial payers. So um, we actually have uh, about 80,000 commercial lives under value-based care as well. Um, and, you know, the, the project started off in, in just a couple uh, physician offices, and now we span from Palm Beach County, Dade, St. Lucie, um, in pretty much all of South Florida, and it, it's just been an incredible ride. Uh, you know, what, what happened this year that's really interesting is that um, our physicians, you know, worked really hard, and now they surpassed all other competition as being the number one saving ACO in the program history. So $274 million back to Medicare. It's really been a great ride. That's that's fantastic, and and you you brought up early on something a little different. Obviously, this is a physician um, owned and led ACO, but unlike some of the others that have been maybe just straight primary care focused, you also have specialists in the network. And how do you do that? And what difference do you think that's made? So, you know, PCPs and specialists play enormous roles in the you know the continuum and you know the care pathways and. You know, at the time, our physician leadership, you know, it wasn't a 100% decision. And, you know, uh, they, they thought long and hard and they thought that it would be a benefit. And it absolutely was. So, you know, having key players uh, in, in subspecialty fields that can contribute capital, they can uh, provide consulting in their subspecialty, they can open doors with affiliated hospitals, uh, you know, candidly. Uh, PCPs often have trouble with that, but when, you know, you have specialists that have service line arrangements or department heads or run ancillaries, they can really open doors. So um, we've been able to benefit tremendously by having the broader and more inclusive network uh, of both PCPs and subspecialists. And, you know, just of late, you know, we, we ran into a problem with uh, a sudden increase in Part B drugs and, you know, some of the input from our top uh, rheumatologists and, you know, top GI physicians has really helped our PCPs have an edge on, on some of these uh, re uh, relevant and recent problems. So you really use your physicians. And I noticed when I looked at your uh, website, you've got all the various committees, quality, et cetera. So you really use them to provide feedback and input into what you're trying to do to maximize 
quality and reduce costs. Absolutely. You know, a one-liner from our team is that we are the physicians. So, you know, we have a few business folks that provide some tools, but, you know, the, the players in the field are the docs. You know, the leadership uh, are the docs. The, um, the investors are the docs. And that's really our team. So, you know, we really leverage our strengths, just like you said, and we have tremendous input. We have, in my opinion, world-class physician engagement. And I, and I think that's really what drives the results. Uh-huh. And as as how did so you you know you talk about having this physician group maybe not as big maybe a, a a staff of non clinicians as maybe other ACOs I'm not really sure but how did like that issue come up to discover that you had something with these with these drug costs how was that identified by whom and then um, then they they and then talk about how they took that out to the group to discuss it. So it probably doesn't come as a surprise to, to you guys, but every, everything's data-driven. You know, Medicare shares extraordinary amount of data, and, you know, we, we really leverage that, and we're very appreciative of it. So we take the quarterly reports, and they tell us what's happening with the ACO at a macro level, and then we're able to take that information and drive it down to the market level, and then most importantly to the key decision-maker level. So um, in, in that particular case where we saw an increase in Part B drugs, we were able to find out exactly uh, which market it was in. And it wasn't all of our counties. It was just one or two, um, which specialty it was in. Um, it's a couple, but uh, rheumatology and, and uh, ophthalmology. And then bring it to the attention of the decision-making physician for them to be able to solve it. So we were able to take data, which, you know, some folks would be considered nebulous and then convert it to be actionable and, and that's really the job every single day and so yeah and that's what I, what I find interesting is that you know a lot of times groups will maybe focus on okay we're going to focus on our people with diabetes we're going to focus on the heart and and look at that or or 30-day readmits and look at that but but there are other things going on and you sort of have to have this system set up to be able to go explore in a sense or, or, or see other measures suddenly pop up. And so that's probably a little bit more advanced than I've seen some of the plans working. You have a dedicated IT data analytics team, I assume, that's doing this with some clinician help? That's correct. Uh, we have uh, about 12 employees that work on analytics and development, and then um, they work for uh, physician and employees. Uh, of about five. So we have about five uh, part-time medical directors. You know, what's amazing is that all of them are practicing physicians. So they're able to take their real-world knowledge, the most recent from treating patients that week, and then bring those insights back to our technology pros. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes, um, you know, you, you find some issues and the physicians will say, but, but that's what I've got to do. So I assume that, you know, they look at that from a clinical perspective and then say, here, here are options you can do. And then the physician goes to those, your, your medical directors or others go to the staff and talk to them about those options. Is that how you structured that? Yeah. You know, uh, a one liner is, you know, Medicare will compensate you if you're able to fix that. So uh, often, you know, they're, these are the smartest people in our society and, it's not difficult to come up with a reason slash excuse, but, you know, Medicare was smart to align the incentives, and, you know, these, 
these physicians are incredibly creative. If you say, listen, I know it's hard, but if you can take this information and solve the problem, Medicare will gladly compensate you. And, you know, it's nice that we've been successful and they don't have to call too many cell phones to talk to another doctor that had a 25 to 50% increase in pay by performing in the ACO. So the incentives mm-hmm. really help. That's, that's fantastic. And, and do you also have a structured care management team or doing things like that with coaching and things like that? We do, but our number one philosophy is physician care coordination. So we have only three uh, clinical pros on the team that are um, nurse case management. And, and really their job is to leverage the, you know, literally thousand providers so that they can do uh, care coordination. So we would fail if we weren't leveraging our real resources, if we were working just with the three nurses, you know, trying to manage 160,000 patients. But what we do is we, you know, uh, train the trainer, teach them to fish, however you want to phrase it. But we, we really try to drive our providers to do the majority of the care coordination. And we do a tremendous amount of actionable lists of high-risk patients, um, gaps in care, and, and we really drive those opportunities to the physicians to do the care coordination. So it's mm-hmm. a decentralized model. And do, do they, some of these, have, have staff in their clinics to do this work, or are the, uh, how does that work? Yes. Um, you know, sometimes it takes a couple of years to, to build the system. So, you know, at first you, you get the physician's attention, and then, you know, they might have, half of an employee that has excess capacity and, you know, they, they might believe in the program to spend an you know, extra couple of hours a week. But, you know, once they've been in the ACO for a year or two and they've started to understand the additional income that they can receive from performing, then many of them are high, hiring one and two additional staff members to really uh, perform under these programs. Often they're hiring one or two additional uh, physician extenders, you know, nurse practitioner, for example, in order to perform. So they treat it like a business. And um, like you said, you, you can't do it with existing resources often, and, and they are willing to staff up to get the job done. Right. And I noticed also, you know, interesting enough, as you talk about, you've got specialists in the network, and you do have uh, a split of that shared savings that goes both to primary care and specialists. I, I assume that, they, um, that that was thought through, because a lot of times it's just obviously going just to the primes. Yes, so our model, uh, it started off where at the beginning, uh, some of the understanding of the first federal register was that a specialist could be in five ACOs and a PCP could only be in one. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's as good of a starting point as any. So they said that the specialist could receive 20% of the average PCP compensation. So, um, 80% goes to PCPs and then 20% goes to high-performing specialists. And, and so when you say high-performing specialists, does that mean that some specialists in the ACOs, you have to achieve certain benchmarks or something like that? Certain engagement levels and certain performance levels, absolutely. So um, our physicians have to meet engagement criteria, which includes attending and speaking at meetings. Um, I'm talking mm-hmm. about specialists specifically. And then um, their data, their results have to be good. So we have a committee that reviews um, the data uh, at least quarterly. And if they're not in the top two quarters in performance, then they start getting asked a lot of questions. So 
then that then that payment unfortunately can become out of reach. Uh huh. And I know some ACOs have had you know really you know as they continue to try to drive quality and improvements and costs et cetera, have uh, you know fairly high turnover rates in in uh, their either their primary care or their specialists. Do you have that as well, or how stable has that network been? The network's extremely stable. I mean, you know, for the first five years, we didn't have a single doctor resign uh, to join another ACO. And then, wow. um, uh, of course, as the stakes get higher, um, you know, the pressure's on the leadership team, the pressure's on the physician committees become high when you deal with tens of millions of dollars. And unfortunately, there is a little bit of a notion that if a doctor is not performing then they're taking money from other high-performing doctors. So um, this year, our network was reduced about 10% um, uh-huh. due to non-engagement. Um, I would say that that was extremely uh, physician-driven and extremely empathetic to the physician. But um, long story short, if a doctor had poor numbers and poor engagement where they, they couldn't make it to meetings and they couldn't meet with uh, PBACO staff, then the other physicians voted that they weren't a, a worthwhile part of the network. Uh-huh. That, ma- that makes sense. And given that you've been, you know, so extremely successful um, and really a, a model, do, do you have uh, other communities or physicians knocking on your door saying, hey, I want in? Or can you come here? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, our, our HCO has grown uh, in excess of 20% a year uh, for each of the last four years. <laughs> we had the, the committees, and, and thank goodness it wasn't me, but the physician committees had to come up with standards. They, uh, they had to meet more often to review all of the applicants, and um, they had significant more workload to keep up with the demands of um, the folks that wanted to be a part of the network. But, you know, it really benefited. I mean, you know, we, we've broadened our – our knowledge on subspecialties. We've, we've broadened our network coverage um, for Medicare as well as the commercial payers. And uh, it's been a tremendous learning process to, to expand um, and, and really have experts from all of these different subspecialists to contribute to the value network. Yeah, not to, not to have you release any confidential business information, but any chance you're making it up here to Jacksonville? Anything for you, Fred. Hey, you know, uh, you're, you know. Uh, you're quite compelling when I see you at these meetings. But, um, you know, I, I think we're going to stay down here in South Florida. Um, you know, the, we don't want to mislead anybody that this project is easy. It's, it's grueling. Um, you know, uh, we happen to have some things, a little tailwinds to help us have critical mass here in South Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we look at some of the fee-for-service dominance in Orlando, for example, and uh, we don't envy the ACOs in that area. That's a tough market, right? Um, but uh, we, uh, we try to stay humble that, you know, we have a working formula, and, and you, you certainly don't want to bite off uh, more that you can chew. But, you know, that's a good point, Fred, is our industry gets a bad rap. And, um, you know, that's, that's one thing I want to share out to the listeners is, you know, this is a community. And, you know, if you call our office, 
our leadership is happy to help other ACOs to network with other ACOs and, and we're happy to share what's working and, and hopefully learn um, from other folks on what's not. But, you know, it's, it's rough when you hear, you know, the, the, the Medicare team talk about that the program is not successful. It's difficult to hear NACOs, you know, uh, reformulate the numbers to justify their position. Boy, that's a red flag when, uh, when your governing body has to redo the numbers, right? So um, we sort of just really want to, you know, share with others that we're all working together to this cause and, and you know, the fee-for-service business is really significant and, and we're rooting for you and, and we're here to help you. So, you know, Fred, Anybody that has an ACO presence in Jacksonville is a friend of ours. Well, that's great. No, and I, I, you raised something actually that Greg and I were discussing prior to the show, which was the, the NACO's uh, new numbers and things like that. And uh, and you know, I look at it and I say to myself, there are there are organizations like you and others that really are showing some tremendous success in this area, while perhaps the vast majority of them are not. But and and so what that says in my mind is. Let's figure out what you guys are doing and the others and where that's applicable. And let's keep growing the heck out of that while we take these others and say, wait a second, we got to do something different here um, or, or get them sort of thinking the way you do, if that's what it takes to get them to begin to perform that way. So hopefully you can share some of that out to them because I do, I, I, I like you think that the NACO's announcement is sort of a self-admission that, that they're that they're, it's not that, that these others aren't working. Versus saying, hey, it's the right thing. You guys are the right thing. You're working. Um, keep those going. But some of these others, I think, and that sort of leads into this whole next area, which is, you know, this more rapid push to two-sided risk. And are you in the MSSP1 or which one are you operating in now? So we're currently in one. Um, we, uh, we completed a next-gen application to go risk in 2017. But... Mm -hmm. um, uh, at the time, the MSSP rules became so much better than NextGen that we switched back. So um, we're currently track one, but we've we've been risk ready for a few years now. And uh, I don't just say that we've we've raised the capital now twice for the minimum uh, repayment mechanism. So um, mm -hmm. we're we're ready to go. Just we were sort of waiting for the incentives to more align. Um, so that we could we could choose the right business opportunity, but you know specifically it's you know shared savings is not a business, so you know heads you win, tails they lose. You know <laughs> that that's not a business model. So we we understood when we read the 2011 regs that we would have to transition to shared risk, and um, you know we we feel like the program has rightfully so delayed um, to to make sure that. You know, all of the metrics, all of the benchmarks, all of the, you know, difficulty of ACOs has been able to come out. But um, we understand the business model is we must take shared risk. And, and we're, we're looking forward to performing under those terms in the future. Uh -huh. And so what's your sense just on a, on a national level to some of this effort to, to uh, try to extend that? Do you think it's, it's time to just really move on and, and begin to to take that two year maximum and as uh, CMS is talking about? So um, I don't know that two years is the right number, but um, I do support that there are a few ACOs out there that don't have any expectation of performance. 
Um, Fred, I, I, I think you've seen the same. Um, I know mm-hmm. firsthand experience of an ACO that had zero employees for six months, right? So that's <laughs> not much of a business. Um, right. And then I'm also familiar with uh, at least seven ACOs that were sharing a team of four. And um, you, you look wow. at our company and, you know, we've had, you know, 20 employees for years and, and now we're in excess of 50 and um, you, you look at the wisdom of our physicians to treat the, the, um, the ACO like a business and to hire folks and to make an investment and to understand that you have to put work in to get work out. Um, unfortunately, it's a fact that there are a few ACOs that aren't treating it like a business. And um, maybe if they have to take risks, that they will do so. And uh, unfortunately, it, it kind of gives our program a bad rap. I mean, if you're not trying and you fail – that doesn't mean it's a bad program. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I do think it is about, you know, some commitment and putting some staff in place. As you said, it's a heavy lift. You guys are doing a lot of work and obviously you've been able to leverage your physician expertise, which is critical. Do you get any, obviously, you know, there's been this issue between hospitals led ACOs and provider led ACOs, but the provider led showing, you know, better results overall. How have the hospitals in your community responded to this? Cause I assume you know, a fair chunk of the savings you're creating are coming out of the hospital's reductions in utilization. So we sure don't use that line. So um, <laughs> uh, basically, uh, you know, if, if by meeting with the hospital results and their bottom line going down and them looking bad as a CEO, we wouldn't re- expect them to, re- to return our calls, right? So, you know, our physician leadership was – you know, smart from the very beginning is they always illustrated a win-win. So, you know, if we can help the hospital reduce unnecessary utilization, um, you know, to, uh, to, to pick up, um, you know, reduce things like SNF and home health that don't necessarily hurt the hospital to help them with um, readmissions, which helps the hospital um, to help them with extremely high quality elective cases to, to help them, Uh, communicate their performance compared to competitors. Um, um, We've actually effectively grown the volume of several of our high-performing hospitals um, compared to their peers because, I mean, candidly, we want to use the best hospitals more and and just eliminate the waste. So um, we always go in with a win-win, Fred, and um, we, we would like for other hospitals to pick up on that is that, you know, whatever your marketing budget is, it can be significantly less if you just perform and you work with an ACO that'll use their megaphone to tell everybody to use you because you're the best. That's a great way to put it and, and really makes sense. You know, you're all about quality, find the highest quality places and then load them up. That's fantastic. You know, are you looking at some point to move further up into that whole chain in terms you talked about some commercial contracts and, and that in terms of maybe becoming a health plan yourself or um, any thoughts on those lines? You know, uh, we hear about some innovative folks doing that, but, you know, we're just a provider network that's so good that we're willing to take risks. And, um, you know, I don't know that we have to be too fancy to, you know, to be successful. So, you know, right now our, our, our mission is just performance providers, um, you know, maximizing value-based contracts where, you know, the doctors can, can really benefit by being high quality and um, being high value. And uh, right now there isn't a talk to, to integrate, but really to, 
unbelievable, but we have $1.6 billion worth of value-based care coming through it. And, uh, you know, that's plenty for us for the next couple of years. And, you know, we're really trying to um, take risks seriously. Um, the, uh, the, the repayment mechanisms are going to be in excess of $12 million. And uh, we want to make sure that we're focused, not distracted, to be able to take advantage of that. Well, that's really fantastic. You know, there's so much more we could get into, David, and I'd love to get you back on. Obviously, your wealth of knowledge, you guys have performed incredibly well. I really want to thank you today for coming on Pop Health Week, and hopefully we can get you back sometime in the not-too-distant future. Hey, it was a real pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I do want to thank our guest, David Klaponis, Chief Operating Officer for Palm Beach ACO and Affiliates. For his time and many insights today, do do follow David's work on the web via www.pbaco.org and on Twitter via at D-K-L-E-B-O-N-I-S, D-Klebonis. And finally, if you are tasked with strategy, standing up an ACO or value-based healthcare initiative, considering social media amplification or thought leadership, content creation and capture, at a national or regional conference, do ping me on Twitter via at the number 2 Health Guru or Greg with two Gs at healthinnovationmedia.com. Fred and I will be happy to lend our subject matter expertise to your organization or enterprise needs. And until we meet again on Pop Health Week, for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. <laughs>